0: With Mark out, I told him that I will just finish James since we got started uh, a couple of weeks ago on Palm Sunday, and we started on the book of James, and so we wanted to finish what we started, which a little bit about prayer that we didn't get a chance to really finish much on. So, as a review, you remember that James is the half-brother of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' siblings, and he wrote the book of James Most scholars agree Uh, there is some debate on that. Also, when the book was written, uh, some believe that it was written early on, one of the first books, and it is referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. And so I'm going to look at it as a lot of books from a theological library. If you uh, happen to know someone who has a theological library, where you could go in and pull a book off the shelf and talk about some of the components of that part of the book. Speaking of theological library, Mark Lanier, of course, has the Lanier Theological Library. I'm glad he was able to get that one since his name is associated with it. Worked out really good. He has started a foundation that will continue the theological library into perpetuity after uh, we are all gone. If you have any desire to give to that foundation in next week's... Um, email, I'll send that information on how to send any money that you want to give to the foundation, or you can email me and say, hey, I need that information, and I'll send it right to you, or you can call the Theological Library, the Lanier Theological Library, give you all the information that you need to help out with their foundation. So last week, or sorry, back on Palm Sunday, when we were starting this in James, I talked about forced perspective, where... The reality is not there, but the way the perspective is, it leads you to believe something that is not true is true. And so as we look at the first book of the uh, situation we're going to look at, we see trials and we see temptations. Here is those perspectives. What I want to do is show you the real perspective, the, the picture on the right is a real perspective of a golf ball. On the left, obviously, it's skewed so that if you didn't know anything about golf balls, you would think that, well, I guess they're that big, and you have to have two or three people to move it around the golf course, which would make golf not a very fun sport at all. But the actual size of the golf ball uh, fits right there over your eye, and so what we need to do as Christians is keep our eye on the ball. Thank you. So, quick note, last time I taught, I had a little problem with the Elmo. Today, the Elmo's gone, so we have the old Elmo, and I'm going to have some more problems with that. It is causing issues, but I do have some of the scripture here in our PowerPoint. So, just in way of review, I wanted to look at a couple of things. One, the uh, perspective on trials. That was something that we all got. It's real easy. It's a very uh, classic theme in the book of James, where in... Uh, John sixteen thirty three is a cross-reference that says, I have said these things to you, Jesus said to his disciples, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So when James says, in James 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, consider it joy. It's a perspective that we need to have regardless of why we have a trial in our life. Now, have any of you been on trial, like in a court? If Mark was here, he would raise his hand. How would you like to be in court on the opposite table from Mark? Not only would that be a trial, but it would be like an additional trial in your life and uh, as you are worrying and focused on that part of it. But regardless of the trials that we have in life, James is saying that we should consider it joy. So the word there is more like calculate. To consider something, it's, it's to calculate it. And so here we have this young Christian doing a little calculating. And so as you start off and you learn this concept of considering trials, joyful doesn't mean that you're happy about it. It just means your perspective is knowing that in the long run, this will produce endurance in my life, and it will make me a better Christian than I was before as I mature. Mature Christians can look back and say, I'm so glad I had those trials, looking back. You never say that during the trial. But looking back, you appreciate it because of what it has done and transpired in your life. So as you grow, you probably use a calculator for more advanced calculations, right? What would be the calculator of the Christian life? The Bible. So the more that you are familiar with your calculator, and you know what all those little funny buttons and you understand what it means, you're able to go faster and understand more. That's why as Christians... Your responsibility is to be in the calculator, learn the calculator, know the calculator, and then follow the formulas in order to live out your Christian life correctly as opposed to the way that you would calculate it on your own and possibly make some mistakes. So here's that first calculation. You need to decide if the trial is your fault or not. And if it is, then perhaps you've fallen into some temptation. Repent. But don't blame God, because in James, it says that God does not tempt, but he does send trials. So have you ever gone through a trial in your life and you're just begging God, God, what is going on? Where are you? I don't even know where you are. You're not saying anything. I've been begging and asking. I'm in this situation. I need help. Isn't it funny that when you were in school and you took a test Did the teacher talk? Could you ask questions? That's when the teacher is silent, when the testing time comes. Because what is the point of a test? To find out what you know based on what you've learned and how you grow. Sometimes it's your fault. Calculate accordingly. Second calculation would be we live in a fallen world, right? That's what what Jesus said. You're going to have tribulations in this world. Sometimes it's just not easy. It doesn't come the way that we would like it to. So you need to calculate to change your world. How do you do that? You change your world one person at a time. It's like the guy that was walking along the beach and all the starfish had washed ashore more than you could count. And he started throwing those starfish into the ocean. You might have heard this story. Some guy comes up and says, there's so many starfish. Why are you wasting your time? And he said, well, it matters to that starfish. Now, as he throws them in, if that starfish was appreciative and maybe give you like a gift card to like a five-star hotel on the beach or something, then you would appreciate that. But throwing a starfish back in, you're going to get nothing out of that. So what does God get out of him saving us? And what do we get out of when we go and we save other people? We we don't save them, but we share the good news. Do we get something out of it? Maybe sometimes do we not get something out of it sometimes? Or maybe what we get is not what we appreciate as we share the truth and we're rejected and shot down. But does it matter if the starfish has anything for us or not? No, you're still supposed to. Go out and do what you can to save the starfish, to present the gospel. That's how you change the world. It's one person at a time as you are able to share. And the third and last calculation is um, to you that you get those trials. It's coming to you because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And those kinds of trials that we have, James says that you endure, which will produce perfection. And as a result, you will be blessed. Now, for a Christian that's been saved for a while, you might be able to come back and tell us those stories about the difficulty that you're in. And as a result, you're so glad that it happened looking back. Anybody have that story? Oh, good. Come on up. And I'm just kidding. We won't take the time today, but it would be great to hear your stories because that encourages someone who's going through a trial now. My father-in-law is here today. He used to always say, and he probably still does, you're either in a trial. If not, you're heading out of a trial. Or you're heading into a trial. It's constant. It's constant. So James gives us a good perspective. On how to deal with trials. Moving on in review. We have the whole faith and works part. That James talks about. Another classic James part. He says. But the be doers of the word. And not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Verse 25. Being no hearers who forgets. But a doer who acts. Don't be a hearer who forgets be a doer who a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing and so the emphasis is when you only hear and you do not do you're deceiving yourself into thinking that you're living the kind of life that god wants you to because you're checking all those boxes things are going well god i came to church i got up this morning and it was raining you should be really proud of me what i did to help out you and that church that i go to so God's not concerned about how you're helping him, but he is concerned about how he helps you. And he's designed a way to do that. And as a result, we receive the blessing. Deuteronomy twenty-seven, twenty-six. I came across this. We're reading through the Bible. My family cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, amen. So they were getting the law, the Torah. And the way to confirm the law is to obey it, to do what is requested. So this is definitely not new. And then James gets down to the part about religion. Uh, 226, well, the part about religion is that we need to take action. He says true and undefiled religion is what? To help widows, orphans. He boils it down to these are things that you should be doing. And you're thinking, oh, well, I thought I went to church and that was good enough. We need to be reaching out and helping other people. And so I wanted to remind you that Serve Saturday is coming up on Saturday. What a great way to take application to what James is saying, to put action to what you're doing. You may be busy on Saturday, but if you're not, on the back of your lesson, you have a registration to sign up for Serve Saturday. And you say, you know what? I need to be doing more. Not that I'm not doing anything. I do, I do things. But wouldn't it be great to serve with my church family to say, hey, yes, I want to be a part. And I want to serve with each other. Uh, Lorraine, I want you to come up. I want you to talk about another part of the service of serving others. We have a, a little drive going on. And then you want to also mention about the ladies. Is that microphone down there? We're we're doing points for home in the middle of the lesson as we try to ways find ways to apply what is being going on. Lorraine, did you not get my memo? Yes. Okay. (laughs) You've you've convinced us. Good morning. I just want to thank everyone for the paper towels that have come in. Thank you so much. Um, the Gracewood family is just going to really appreciate what you've done. And we have one would more like, Sunday like. left. So if you still want to bring paper towels, please, please feel free to bring those. Um, also, ladies, um, just want to remind you that next month, the 26th, is our ladies' night out. I sent out an email. So just contact me. Let me know if you're coming. I just need to get a, start getting a head count. Um, the space for the will is limited. So just let me know if you want to do the will or just paint a piece. Thank you. Good. And then one other point of service. Ken Shortreed was telling me that he would love to have some people serving in this class. Coffee. Back in the back. You, you don't have to come early. Just come when class starts or a little before class. So that you can sit down and pour. You can pour out the blessing of coffee if that blesses you. Then uh, right here in the back. Ken, wave your hand. So there he is back there. You can barely see him. But... um An opportunity to serve here in the class. We should be serving in church. We should also find ways to serve outside of church. And this may ring true for you. uh, The words of Rich Mullins. Faith without works. Did y'all see that screen door on that submarine? How would you like to take a cruise on the uh, submarine? Yeah, uh, the song is something like... Faith without works is like a song you can't sing. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. <laughs> so, silly jig, serious point. Faith without works, as useless as a screen door on a submarine. James says faith without works is dead. A screen door on a submarine is the same as dead if you happen to be diving. Moving on in review, we also talked about the tongue. This was an epitaph on a cemetery uh, stone that says, here lies as silent clay, Miss Arabella Young, who on the 21st of May began to hold her tongue. <laughs> Can you just imagine what Arabella was saying most of her life and, uh, I don't know, perhaps contributed to her demise. So James has several things that he talks about here with um, the tongue. And the first thing is the quick and the slow. He says in James 119, feel free to take notes, he says, Be quick to listen, be slow to, and get angry. Slow to anger, slow to speak. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, my dad always told me, I got two ears, right? So you should be listening twice as much as you're talking. Sometimes we just need to take a deep breath when something's going on that incites you because anger is crouching at the door. It's right there and easy, some... More so than others. It's easy to cross that line. But what's wrong with anger? Let's see if we can take a look over here in Galatians. Everything on this side of the Bible I think is going to work better. So we'll see how it goes. So Galatians 5, he says. Okay, here we go. Oops. Almost, there it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, you're familiar with that, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Did you know that preceding that, there's a list, another list, you know what that is? The fruit of the flesh is what I like to call it. So let's look up here. Start here in verse 19. He says, now, works of the flesh are evident. You don't have to tell someone I'm doing this. They are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, this is not a complete list. There's more. I warn you. As I warned you before. That those who do such things. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. Then he goes into the fruit. Of the spirit. So being slow. Quick to, quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Is one of those things that. As mature Christians. We move toward. It's not something that you get automatically. So. Here in Galatians 5 is a great note for you. If you're dealing with, as I read the list of the fruit of the Spirit, if you're having trouble with any one of those, because as I read, you might have thought, I got that one. Okay, I'm good there. Patience, I need to work on that. Oh, you need to work on that? That's God's invitation to you to work on being patient. Now, I think I've told you all this before, but I used to, on Facebook, when it came time for someone's birthday, I would send a birthday happy birthday, but instead of just happy birthday, which everybody does, if y'all are on Facebook, you people, birthday is happy birthday, happy birthday, hope this day is great, hope this day is great, happy birthday, hope you're having a great day, exclamation point, exclamation point, happy birthday. So you get like 50 or 80 of these, 100, depending on how many friends you have. But I thought, let's add something to kind of break that up a little bit. So I'd always put happy birthday, so-and-so. What is something that God is teaching you in this uh, well, what is something that God taught you in your last birth year that you can use in your new birth year? Is that good? Would would you answer that if I asked it? Okay, then you are the very few because I asked this question for a year and they would either like it, you know, you could like like the question, that's no good. <laughs> it's a question. You can't like it, you have to answer it. If I pressed them and they finally answered it, you know what the number one answer was? Patience. I have decided. That God is constantly working on us with patience in every area of our life. So patience is something you're just going to have to be patient with and work on. Because you're never going to finally get. Now some are better at it than others. I'm just saying, as you look through, don't find the first thing that you're like, oh, I need to work on that. That seems easy. Are you gentle? Are you kind? Look for those things. Are you steadfast? Find ways and, and find those things that you need to Take care of. So here's back to James. That was a cross-reference of dealing with the tongue because it's with the tongue that we express our anger. That is not of God. He does not want it. Now, there's a righteous indignation that we're not talking about today. But that is being mad at the right thing for the right reason. And you respond appropriately. Um, he goes on in James one twenty one and talks about the solution. You'll be glad that I went ahead and marked, made a few marks here in my Bible. Here is James's solution to that whole thing of avoiding the wrong kind of talk. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul hope my crew upstairs is okay with going back and forth between the Elmo. So now we're getting into the teacher talk. And let's look over here in chapter 3, verse 1. This is important. He says here, James says in verse 3, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So we're recruiting for teachers here at Champion Forest. Could we? Are there any volunteers I'd just like to ask you to sign up in the back? I'm sure the line's going to be long, but uh, just wait in time because I know that's your passion. Yeah, a lot of people are like, well, why would I teach? Why would I want to incur more judgment on me? I, I would rather take the easy path. I would rather catch a break. Here is the bad news in Matthew chapter 19 Matthew 28:19 It says go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this is the great commission. Who is he commissioning? Only teachers? Apparently, he's commissioning all of the disciples, all of the followers, that even though you may not be a teacher up on stage, was James just talking about the ones that stand before the assembly? He just said, Be careful if you want to be a teacher because you will have strict judgment. I don't believe James was trying to say that you shouldn't teach unless you just are really passionate about it. I think that we are all teachers. The only reason I think that is because the Bible tells me so. Because when he says to go and make disciples, you baptize them. Okay, that's easy. I can do that. And then teach them everything that I have commanded you. What does that mean? You have to go back and figure out everything that you've learned as a Christian through the years of being saved, and then you teach them about that. Give you another cross-reference. If you don't believe me there, look in Acts chapter 1. I didn't mark this one. It just came to me, but this is good. Let's see. Acts chapter 1. Okay, right here in verse 3, y'all see that? Nope. So, Jesus, after he had, he was already died, he was buried, he resurrected. The disciples found out, they were excited, he's already appeared to a lot of them. He told them to go up into a room to wait. He, uh, verse 3, I'm sorry, yeah. Chapter 1, verse 3 of Acts, he says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering, and by many proofs, appearing to them during the forty days, And speaking about the kingdom of God. So for 40 more days. So Jesus had been teaching the disciples for three years. Then he dies. He comes back to, he comes back to life. He's invigorated his disciples. And then he says, look, I'm going to spend 40 more days with you guys. And they're probably thinking, great, we're going to get this new stuff, the more exciting stuff, the resurrected Jesus stuff. And what did he talk about? the kingdom of god that's exactly what he was talking about the 3 years prior to the kingdom of god it's something that we need to constantly be learning and i commend you for being here you definitely are but who are you teaching about the kingdom of god jesus modeled how to do that and then he exemplified it how to do that and then he told you how to do that go and make disciples baptize them and teach them everything that you know. Is that practical? I think so. He used a couple of illustrations, James did, about the tongue. It's like a bit in the horse's mouth. I, we used to have horses when I was growing up, my aunt and uncle's house out in East Texas. Anyone from Point or Greenville? Okay, okay, you really know where it is maybe. Uh, I was like seven years old. We would ride horses every once in a while. We, we lived in Mesquite, the city. So we'd drive in the weekends. We'd go down to the country. We'd ride horses. And so I was on the horse and it was late in the day and they let me go and the horse took off. I had no control. The horse went around, uh, down the dirt road and was heading toward the barn. Where was he going? He was going home. He was through. He wasn't, he didn't know what my plan and agenda was. So my uncle and my dad, they were, I never saw them run so fast. They were coming after the horse, caught up, they grabbed the horse. They realized there was a little piece underneath the bit, you know, the bridle that goes in the horse's mouth, this little piece underneath the chin that I guess gave some kind of, a, acted as a fulcrum that made the bit work. There was no bit in the horse's mouth. He stopped carrying what I wanted him to do. Yeah. So James says that we need, To bridle our tongues. We need to make sure that we ourselves put the bit into our mouths. As we're following and submissive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the danger of the tongue. He says that it's like a rudder. A little bitty piece of the ship. But it guides the whole entire thing. If you're not careful when you're not watching. Your speech will say things that you do not intend And it'll guide you into problems that he illustrates with his last illustration, and that is a fire. Such a small spark will start a huge blaze. If you've seen the California, the wildfires there, I don't think there's any now. But, I mean, it's just amazing. And the people that go in there and they risk their life to put the fire out. What if that one spark never happened? People's homes, people's lives would be set aside. The same is true in our lives as Christians. And it all starts with the mouth. What are we saying? What are we intending to say, and how is it being received? James says that as a result, there are there are blessings and cursings in James 3.9. And what he says is, from the same mouth, you bless God, and then you curse other people. And James says, this ought not be. So when the spring, that's fresh water, continues to be fresh water, and it's not salty, what do you call that? Doing exactly what you would expect, right? So what happens when you do exactly what you ex- what you're expected to do? We would say that you have not hypocrisy, because that's saying one thing and doing something else. But to say something and to do that, to be true to yourself, to be whole, what do you call that? Integrity, right? So integrity is from the Latin word integritas. If you go to the elmo here, see if we can see where we are. Integritas. We get our word integer from that. Does anyone know what an integer is? Are these integers? Any math whizzes here? Are these integers? Are these integers? An integer is a whole number. Whether positive or negative, an integer are these top two lines. It says, I'm three, there's three of me, and you count one, two, three. It's exactly what you would expect. But fractions are not whole. They're not complete. They're only a part of the whole, and that's what a hypocrite is. So James is saying, do you have integrity? He says, when you swear... Or you shouldn't even swear. You should let your yes be yes and your no be no. Who said that? James did. But who said that before James? Who Who was James listening to? Yeah, absolutely. Jesus said that same thing. Don't swear by oaths in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Otherwise, when you don't do that, it leads to evilness, wickedness. So what happens if you commit to doing something and then something better comes along? And you like, yeah, something came up. Um, my parents came in, which is not true. But you're just trying to present yourself so that you can do what better came along. This may never happen again. You don't understand. So I tell a little bit of uh, shadiness in order to not put myself in a bad position because I don't want to hurt them. And I go and do this other thing that I wanted to do. That's not right. This ought not be. If you say yes, you should do it. If you say no, you should not do it. But what happens? Now, I'm not saying you can't ask. Something better comes along. You can ask, listen, something else came up. Would it be okay if I moved you to the next week and I did this other thing? Yeah, that's fine. Or no, the President of the United States is only coming here today. I need you. Okay, I'll come and be a part of that. I, 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 I committed to it. I'll do that. Psalm 19 says that you swear to your own hurt. Even if it hurts me, I'm going to have integrity, and I'm going to do the right thing. And that's what James is talking about here. With the tongue, you say what you're going to do, and then you do it, which makes you someone of integrity, an individual of integrity. These are the cross-references I did. I told you Psalm 19 looks like it's Psalm 15.4. Matthew 5.37 is where Jesus says, Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. James 5.12, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Speaking of, he also says there's blessings and cursings. If you're happy, sing praises. We have a hymn sing coming up here at Champion Forest Baptist Church. This is another practical example that we're doing announcements within the lesson today. A hymn sing this Friday night at 7 o'clock in the chapel where we do what? Sing praises to God. But we should be careful because have you ever sang a song and as you sang it, you realized this is not true for me. Ever done that? Maybe you sing the old favorite, holy, holy, holy. And then you're looking at yourself and you're thinking, what have I done this past week? There's nothing holy about me. There is something holy about him. But I'm not even prepared to come into his presence and sing praises. That would be a hypocrite. So we have to be careful even as we worship God, whether it be in song or in prayer or in teaching, or even in listening, that we need to be people of integrity. So, him saying this Friday night, seven o'clock in the chapel. There are there's a cookie bake off afterwards in the uh, choir rehearsal hall. So, moving on, haughty and humble. Wanted to read through, run through some of these before we fi- uh, finish up on prayer. Like I said that we were going to do today. Uh, James is very specific to make people respond to the rich and to the poor the same. He says, someone comes in and they have a big golden ring and they are well-to-do and you might be able to benefit from them. What do you do? Sometimes you're like, oh, hey, you sit up here. Someone comes in with uh, not too pleasant attire, perhaps not too pleasant an odor. We're We're fine to let them sit somewhere else. What is James saying? He's using these extreme examples, but he's saying that we should all treat each other the same. Because the same curse and the same result of sin applies to us all. The same applies to the hypocrite as the man with integrity. So I will treat them the same in as much as the way that I deal with them. But as God's word says, sometimes we have to give a little bit of correction, a little bit of help. And so we still do that, but we do that with integrity. We do not put them down or set them aside. We still interact and deal with them. Uh, The presumption halt is um, Lord willing, thank you, that uh, when you say that you're going to do something, that James says you even presume upon your own pride that you will be doing something. Have you ever heard Mark Lanier say. Uh, this is such and such is going on. Lord willing. Why does he say that? A good lesson from the book of James. Now It doesn't mean you need to end every sentence with Lord willing. But it's just the idea in your head that I'm not in control. But God is. And if he allows. I'm going to go to the hymn sing on Friday. Are you going to be at the hymn sing Friday? Lord willing I am. Oh, that just sounds so spiritual or something. I don't want people to get the wrong idea about me. Hey, it's okay to let people know that you're spiritual. Be spiritual and let them know. And Lord willing is a great way of saying that. So I want to ask Max to come up now. Uh, another practical point of the lesson today in dealing with the haughty and the humble. Max, uh, there's a mission trip going on. And uh, are you all going to go visit the up and
1: ends? Lord willing. <laughs> yes, uh, in your handout, newsletter, you will see the mission letter. I trust that the Lord is willing that each of you take the time to read it. It tells you specifically what we will be doing, how we will be doing it. It also tells you how you are going to be involved. And the bottom line, it's spelled out for you pretty clearly about expenses and what we need for the trip to take place. Uh, there will be 10 people from this class, five male, five female, uh, all over the age of 30. They've requested mature people. Uh, we would have taken some young people had they applied, but it seems like the Lord knows better than we do the way it should be handled. So we've left it in his hands. Um, we're excited about it. I could tell you without any any doubt the things that I'm hearing this morning in the main service and then here in the class, it does come down to the Lord's willing. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We all know that part of it. Then it says, acknowledge him and don't lean on your own understanding. But when we acknowledge him, he will make our way straight. That's what we feel about this trip. I don't need to say a lot more about it because I think it's pretty well spelled out. And, yes, Lesvos is Lesbos, not V-O-S. It's B-O-S. But we can get by with that little mistake. That is the island we're going to, and this is how we plan to serve the people. Now, let me tell you just a quick thing. There's a lot going on over there, as you know. The Pope visited just this last week. There's people that are being detained, so therefore there are refugees and there are detainees. The, the numbers are somewhere around 50,000 between the island and Greece that have not been able to be pushed out into the areas they were supposed to go to because borders are closed. But here's the point I want to make. If that stays the way it is and continues to be like that, what the people that we're working with over there, the mission teams that we're working with over there, they said it's really open doors. In spite of the conflict, they now have these people for a much longer time. They're spending time in Bible studies which is very, very unusual when you understand the culture and what we're dealing with or what they're dealing with over there, and we will be. They're also showing the movie of Jesus, and people are coming to it voluntarily. So for what all that's worth, I know the Lord can work through all of these things the way he sees fit. We just need to be willing to say, the Lord willing, we'll be there.
0: Amen. Thank you. So what you're saying is that, People are being held there longer so that Christians have more of an opportunity to witness and visit with them. Yes. Praise the Lord. Yes.
1: And The one thing on the list or on the letter, please notice uh, we need to know if you know as soon as possible what your commitment will be so we can move forward with airfares and deposits and things that we have to get across the seas. Thank you. So that's exciting
0: that our class has a great opportunity to be to respond to this opportunity and this trip to be able to share. I mean, this is the application of what we're talking about today. Faith without works is dead. So don't show your works to be saved. Show your works as a result of being saved to show the world that we are different and that we're doing what we are called to do, which keeps us from being a hypocrite. Sometimes when you're sharing with someone and they shut you down, the first thing I tell them is, well, I'm a Christian, so you know that if I don't share with you, you would call me a hypocrite. And they would say, well, you're right. So I'm just being true to what and who I am. Praise the Lord. Okay. Finally, as we close out, we're talking about prayer. Last time we talked about, uh, there are signs all over to talk about prayer. Prayer is probably the most practiced Christian activity in the world. And it goes beyond Christians, obviously, because I was talking to the lady who was at this sign. She was a Muslim, but she said she still prayed. Uh, what about pagans? Do pagans pray? Yeah, at least they say they do. Like, have y'all y'all watch any reality TV? Sometimes no one's going to admit to that. That's fine. Keep your hands down. We're praying for you. I've not either, but I've heard, I've heard that when. Something's going on, and you have this person and you you know them by the way they 've been behaving through the through the show each week you you watch them progress they can 't hide the whole time who they really are. It comes out, and then they 're in the middle of this big challenge, and all of a sudden one of them says, "Oh God, we need you here, man, we need you first of all, you just called God man that 's a problem. <laughs> second of all you can 't just Call on God whenever you want, but this is the culture that we live in. And so I said this a couple of weeks ago, that I think that prayer is one of the most misunderstood activities in the life of people, especially Christians, because oftentimes we don't learn about prayer from the Bible. We learn it from people that have been passing down their prayer activities, and although they mean well, are not always correct. Now, I'm not saying that they're always incorrect, for sure, but as Christians, it would behoove us to go back and see God's word as we understand what and how prayer exists, what it's for and how it works. There was a story the other day on the news, and it was back on near Palm Sunday, uh, there was a... A site on Facebook, it was the Christian Prayer Community or something like that. And they would provide prayer and you would just send them money, depending on the size or how much prayer you wanted, between 25 or $9 and $35 was the price that you could ask them to pray. Or And they had special pastors and, and uh, spiritual people that would pray for you, depending on how much you prayed. Prayed. Fake prayed because it was a it turned out to be a hoax all of the ministers they did not exist they were just names that were made up and this kid was raking in uh 7.8 million dollars in like four years on a pay to pray site why is that people are desperate aren't we includes us not that we would fall for this particular scam, but people are desperate and whatever can get them a little edge on the competition, on their health situation, whatever it is, we'll do almost anything in order to get ourselves into a better position. Now, I'm not saying that everyone is like that and I'm not saying that you are like that at all and even the ones that mean well um, just – Let's just talk a couple things about it. So, I wanted to divide it up into two areas things that we need to axe off, and things we need to act on, apply when it comes to prayer. Not an exhaustive list, but just as I've studied and learned about the things of prayer, and you know, Mark, he spoke on prayer from out of Hebrews the week before Palm Sunday. If you've not heard that, please be sure and download that on our website, and you can hear his perspective, which we we line up on the things that he was talking about. In fact, I listened to it. I downloaded it on my phone, and I was walking through Kroger. I was listening to it to make sure that I wasn't repeating some of the things that he said because he'd already taught it. I'm trying to move on to some other things. And I got quite a following in the store. People were gathering around listening to Mark teach on my phone. It was a good... Uh, spiritual experience so one of the thing we need to ax off and get rid of is praying as a last resort and you may say well don't do that but if you look at your life and say well you know what it is true if i get honest that oftentimes i try to work out things the best i can and and i may say you know lord please help me maybe in a prayer with my blessing but when it when it gets to the point that i just can't do anything else that's when i get on my knees and i'm begging god to help you know what i'm talking about That's not a great way to exercise your your prayer life. Uh, Getting what you want, I call that the vending machine. Where God, I went to church and it was raining. This is what I need. So you put your tokens in and you pull what you want and you're expecting to get what you want. That's not a great way to exercise prayer. Uh, Another one, we mentioned this a, a few weeks ago. The more that's praying for a particular thing, the better. I call that the hedging, where you're hedging your bets, that if, if my, if I'm not gonna work, there's gotta be someone maybe that has a better connection with God. Maybe I'll go to a prayer site. I'll do whatever I can. And as a result, we, we find a way, we find ourselves in a situation where we are boasting on how many people are praying for us. I've got three churches in big cities across the United States, and they're all praying for this. Well, is that bad? No, absolutely not. Is it bad that a lot of people are praying for the same thing? No. What I'm commenting on is that does it change the power of God responding to a situation? Absolutely not. And why is that? Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what I do, does what I do cause God to act differently? He's the same. Now, if I accept him as my savior, he responds to that in a particular way, just like he said that he would. But he never said that about prayer, although he asked us to pray. So there's no doubt about that. We all should pray and pray to God. So I mentioned this a few weeks ago when I said, um, have you ever heard someone say, like in a church setting or maybe during a prayer that when two or more are gathered in his name, Jesus says, I'm in their midst. We're gathered together. So he must be here. Right? Does that make you feel any better? Does anyone get fooled that maybe Jesus wasn't here before we gathered together? Is Jesus in the empty room? Absolutely. What about the individual who goes to see you at the poll? Y'all familiar with see you at the poll in September? And they go to see you at the poll and they get there and nobody else showed up. Does that little boy have to say, huh, I gotta find someone else or Jesus is not here. Does he know? Is God gonna respond to him just as powerfully as if he had 20 of his best friends praying with him about the same thing? God's the same. He responds the same. It doesn't mean anything different to God, but it does to us. It does to us. Isn't it, isn't it better for us if we have more friends gathered together and we're praying about something particular? In the name of Jesus, yes. So that's great. All I'm saying is, is that the idea that we sometimes get in our heads and sometimes that we communicate by the things that we say, even though we do not mean it, is that the more people that are involved, that God's going to do something different, that we're able to sway him just a little bit more. In uh, Matthew 18 is where we get this verse about two or more gathered in his name. I just wanted to make a couple of comments about it, so I can find it here. In Matthew 18, right here, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, don't bring anybody else in. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established. By the evidence of two or more witnesses. Verse 17. If he refuses to listen to them. Tell them tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you. If two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am, there I am among them. Has that ever struck you as odd? I'm the kid that grew up in church. I grew up, been in a Southern Baptist church all my life, and I think about things, and when I hear something, I, I parse the words, and I try to figure out, okay, what does this mean, and how does it apply? So if the Bible... Jesus himself is saying, when two or more are gathered, I'm in their midst. Why is he saying that when I know that Jesus is with me in my heart, when I'm all alone? He's everywhere. He's all the time. He's omnipresent. There's nowhere that he is not. He is everywhere. Then why would it say, when two or more are gathered, I'm there? Some have told me, well, if two or more are gathered, he's there just as much as the one. It's just that two or more are there, but then it'd be silly to say. And why didn't he say, when 20 or 30 are there, I'm in their midst? Because that's true too. He just didn't say that. Why is this being said? Do you understand the context now of chapter 18, Matthew? It's dealing with something that we don't talk too much about, but it's church discipline. Where if your brother has a fault, you're supposed to go to your brother and deal with it between you and a bunch of other people? No. Between you and him, keep it between yourselves. It is the way that disciples help and correct one another. If he doesn't listen, then you bring some witnesses because going by yourself, he's like, look, I can do this. This is what I'm, uh, this is who I am. I'm just going to keep doing this. But right here in God's word, it says not to do this. What are we going to do? It doesn't matter. I'm still going to be a part. Well, you're, you're a bad witness to Christians. You're a bad witness to our church. Let's just say this is actually happening. So you bring two or more witnesses. Why two or more witnesses? Mark's talked about this in the court of law, the Jewish court of law. Could you condemn anyone with less than two witnesses? No. You had to have two or more witnesses for the Jews in order to convict someone and give them their punishment. This is the same thing. It is dealing with church discipline where two or more have to Okay, Well, the third step is then you bring it before the church. If If he doesn't listen to the witnesses and he doesn't listen to you you've gone through these things, it's a sin, it's a known sin, people know about it, you have to deal with it. The step three is you bring it before the church, and if he still does not respond to the church, you treat him as a Gentile, as a tax collector. This is before the Gentiles were brought in. Jesus hadn't died, resurrected Paul, hadn't been on his road to Damascus. This was still a very Jewish thing, Christianity. Well, yes, we call it Christianity at this point, Jesus was... Uh, not yet, died on the cross. But at this point, it was only dealing with the Jews. So treat them like a Gentile. What does that mean? You vote them out of the church. They can no longer come along in, in your assembly. So Jesus says, you can't just go around voting people out of the church. That's not going to work. Just like in the Jewish court of law, there has to be two or more people in this forum that come together and make this vote. And what does Jesus say? When you do, I am there in your midst. Affirming or denying what is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. What is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. That gets into the fourth thing I say to Acts off is agreeing in prayer. Have you ever agreed in prayer? Okay, hear me. hear me well. Agreeing in prayer is good not a problem. But if you think that it's a special thing that if I agree, I'm more likely to get the attention of God, that's where the problem is. And that's what I'm addressing. Not the fact that when Christians, they should agree in prayer. They probably will, even if they're not trying to, because they're desiring the things of God as they look in his scripture. But here it's saying that if you um, agree that whatever is, when you agree together, whatever is uh, bound in Earth, we bound in heaven, loosed on earth, loosed in heaven, still dealing with this context of church discipline. So moving on from the things that we need to get rid of and just some understandings of prayer that we need to kind of move away from. And you may think, you know what? I never even thought those things. But the way that I talk about prayer is probably leading other people to think that. And therefore, I'm teaching them. I'm discipling them how to pray less than the best way. That's all I'm talking about is to identify a couple of areas that we might be able to do better as we disciple and teach everything that we know to the next generation. So a few things we could probably do, we could ax out. Here, what we can act on. The prayer of faith, James 1, 5 through 8. says that if anyone lacks wisdom, what should you do? Ask of God, who gives generously and without reproach. But if you do not, ask in faith. You're just like the guy that's in the ocean being tossed around by every wave of doctrine. You are unstable in all your ways. It's the prayer of faith that I'm trusting and I'm confident that God has it taken care of. Not that God's going to do what I'm asking, because that's irrelevant. In prayer, it's irrelevant that God does or does not do what you're asking, right? Because in the end, you would even say, Lord willing, you would agree to that. Lord willing, Lord, I'm taking this test. I have not studied. If there's any way you could just give me a little extra oomph, Lord willing, I will pass this test. And I will do great things for you as I get my degree and move on. Hey, that's not a good prayer. Because what's God going to say? You're supposed to study. Show yourself approved. And and then, God, I've studied. and Would you help me to recall this information? That's a better prayer. Because I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to, God. And I'm just asking you to help me. But what if, for whatever reason, God does not help you? In fact, well, he helps you get an F. And you fail that class. You flunk out of your degree. And you've wasted thousands of dollars. Ten years later, in your new profession you realize this is exactly where God wants me to be. Had I passed that test and passed that class, got that degree, I might be doing this over here. Can God still use me? He's that good. He's that big of a God. Absolutely. So the world doesn't end, but God wants you over here and he's got a plan that's going to get you there. And sometimes it hurts. And that's why James starts off with, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, because the testing of your faith will produce endurance. And 10 years later, when you're over here in the will, the center of God's will, doing what he wants you to do, what he wants you to do with these people around here. You're not doing it with these people, but I've already got this person to do that. You would both be doing it. I, don't, I need you here. And I worked it out in my sovereignty and control to get you exactly where you want to be. Can we resist the will of God? Well, sometimes we do. Sometimes we we choose to do something and we end up over here. Now, God can redeem that. Because he can take every he, he is every perfect gift is from God. And he can redeem everything. We can't mess God up, but if we want to be true integrity, we want to have integrity as a Christian, then we want to be asking and have the right attitude toward prayer in order to be where we need to be and trust God. So the next time you fail a test, hey, don't worry about it. Just tell your professor, <laughs> God's got this. Okay, maybe not. Maybe you should just determine whether or not God's really doing something in your life or if you just failed the test because of your irresponsibility, it's not hard to figure out. You can do that. The prayer of faith, the prayer of peace. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. One of my when I grew up, it's my favorite prayer uh scripture about prayer. Be anxious or be careful for nothing. But in everything through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. What should we be praying about? Things that cause us anxiety? Yeah. Things that bother us? Yes, absolutely. Now, should the same things bother you ten years later as they do right now? No. Because as you mature and grow, your prayers should not be the same at all. You should mature in your prayer and the things that you ask for, you would laugh at yourself. Those are the things I ask for. That's crazy because I understand and I've grown in the grace of God because I've come to the biblical literacy class where we're literally trying to make you biblically illiterate. We want, that's our desire. But more than just giving you the speech every week that Mark does so well, and he'll be back next week, that you are able to study the calculator and be able to make the calculations yourself, that we're equipping you to learn and grow. That's all I'm trying to do today. Just have a thought about the things that maybe we do right and wrong regarding prayer. It says that if we pray about those things, Philippians 4, 7, that the peace of God that covers Uh, The the peace of God will cover cover our heart and soul and mind. I just saw the clock, and I know that we are out of time. The prayer of forgiveness, James talks about that. We talked about confessing your sins, because being forgiven is one of the most important things about having a, a, a talk with God. Your relationship is impaired whenever you have that sin in your life, even as a Christian. So something that you need to act on as a Christian is just make sure that you are living right and doing the right thing. God will tell you if you are interested. So to close out uh, early again, maybe we'll finish James one other day. To close out, let me just make one more comment about this church discipline because that can really cause some anger and some uh, unnecessary anxiety in some people's life because you might have already been hurt by the church that treated you in some way that you practically feel like you have been voted out of the church or the things of God. That's not right. There's uh, grace and redemption. But listen to this. Jesus said it well in Matthew 7, that judge not lest you be judged, because the same way that you judge, you shall be judged. It doesn't mean not to judge, just be ready that the way that you judge will be judged to you. Jesus goes on to say this, before you get the speck out of your brother's eye, you get the log out of your own eye. Quick story. The other day I was a part of a service of worship involved in something that one of the leaders had a known sin for me that I knew about, and I was so distracted the entire time because I just kept thinking about that. And then it dawned on me, Brent Johnson, get the log out of your own eye before you even worry about the speck or even the suspected speck in this other person's life. None of our staff, nothing here. Please don't start letting your mind race. But it's, it's a great application because the rest of that service, I began to be less outward in the service and begin very inward in my heart. As I began begging God to show me where my falters are because I, and I became less, con, I became not concerned at all about anything else, anyone else. And that is the process that God has set aside that you worry about you. If it comes to it, you may have to worry about somebody else, but first and foremost, we are to worry about ourselves and in prayer, Pray Psalm 139. Holy Spirit, search me and know me. If there is any wicked way in me, let me know. Because the thing I want the most is to have an unhindered relationship with you. Not that I can pray and get everything that I want as I pull the vending machine levers. But that I can seek you out and do exactly what you're calling me to do. To be at the right place at the right time. Never to presume upon you, but to do exactly where you have called me to do. In the place you've called me to do it. In whatever state you're in, even if the state is Texas. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have provided these formulas for us to go about dealing with our Christian life. Father, I'm sorry for the delay of time today. Thank you for the lesson. I pray that you would implant it into our hearts. Help us all to understand what it is that we're trying to teach from your Word so that we can grow and learn as a result of being blessed by you. Father, I pray that same blessing on these friends that are here today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.